Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And that is launched out to deep left field. Big fly for Mike Trout. This is ground ball to second base. Red Heeple falls down, picks it up, fires the first. The Angels have no hit. The Seattle Mariners. It's gone. Big fly for Anthony Rendon. Hey guys, I'm Alex Curry. This is Joe Adele here with the Los Angeles Angels. Brendan Marsh. This is Chris Rodriguez. You're listening to the All Angels Podcast. And welcome to another edition of the All Angels Podcast. This edition is a special edition. We got some guests, some some new guests, some previous guests. First guest I want to bring on are the two brothers that run Super Halo Bros Podcast and all the social media. So, Mike, first, I'm going to say hi. What's going on? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It's great and, to be here. And then, of course, his brother, John. John, how are you? I'm doing great, Daniel. Thanks for having us on. And then the guest that we've had on, I think, a couple of times is Andrew, and he runs the uh, Angels Top Plays account on Instagram and on Twitter. Andrew, how are you? Doing great. Excited to be on with everyone and, and talk some Angels baseball. It's an exciting time. Yeah, exactly. I figure it's a perfect time to kind of bring multiple voices and ideas around the Angels together that we have this now, the, the I guess, the most boring two days, three days of the year. Is the, right after the <laughs> All-Star true. break, yeah. there's yeah. nothing going on. You know, trade deadline's coming up, but nothing's really happening. I mean, a little bit happened today about what the Angels, and we'll get to that later. But uh, it's usually pretty boring around these next few days, so I figured this would be a great time to have a couple people on. So first off, let's talk about, obviously, what, what just happened, and that is the Home Run Derby and All-Star game. First, I'll start off with the Home Run Derby. Um, Andrew, what what did you think about the home run derby? What were your thoughts about it? Did you like it? Did you not like it? What, what, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, anytime you get to watch someone on your team playing the home run derby, it's super exciting. And for it to be none other than Shohei Otani, um, whether or not he won or lost, he put together one of the most exciting rounds we've seen in a while for the home run derby. Um, I had a lot of fun watching it. And then Pete Alonso, I feel like it's just a man who's built for the home run derby. Like the guy, like the what that guy does in the home run derby is incredible, and he's fun to watch as well. I kind of feel like too with with Pete. You know, if you ever if you listen to his like interview after the first round, you're like, oh, he's winning it. He's like, he was so he's, dead focused he's on this. In. Yeah, <laughs> everyone was there having a good time, and he was there to win it. You know, it just, yeah. that's how I felt. Mike, what about you? How did you feel about the home run derby? I'm with Andrew, man. It's great to see our players in it. And it reminded me, remember when Garrett Anderson was in the home run derby? Gosh, man, years ago. Chicago, I believe. Yeah, that was so fun to watch. And it was one of the first times that the Angels had been in the Derby since I've been a fan. Mm -hmm. And so that was, I remember how excited I was, I think 10, 15 years ago. And now to have Shohei and that guy is just so much fun to watch just because he's a humble guy and he's got so much talent. And and you, you love to just celebrate the fact that he is on our team and we own him and he belongs to us. <laughs> and so I was I was hooting and hollering here with my son as we watched it. It was great. What about you, John? That was one of the most fun home run derbies I think I've ever watched. And and going back to Pete Alonzo, like there was just no chance that he was going to lose this one. I mean, his head's bobbing the whole time. Yeah. Like he was just in a groove. All the other guys are kind of sweating and showing their, their, that they're tired and they're getting worn out from all the swinging. And he's just up there just doing his thing. And uh, there was a great, I don't know if you guys saw, but there was a great mic'd up 
for uh, Juan Soto and and Shohei. And what's great is you, you couldn't really see it during the broadcast, but they, those guys were having so much fun on the field and encouraging each other and, and having a great time and and just admiring each other's home runs. I thought that was really cool to see. So it was good to get that extra level of insight into the into the derby. But it was a lot of fun. I had a good time watching it. And so, Mike, on your podcast, I've listened. I believe it was you, Mike, that said about you're kind of hesitant to have Latani with the home run derby. Just you know, the whole swing mechanics and that myth or whatever that was but, mike not me that yeah, was definitely mike, mike. <laughs> okay good so i got that one right <laughs> just all right make that clear <laughs> yeah. yeah so so when he's you know huffing and puffing after like the first like you know five six swings you had to be at least a little bit like oh here we go oh yeah I, I i was about to say i told you so first of all you didn't tell me you were going to hold my words against me um <laughs> someone but, does yeah, someone asked yeah me. i'll tell you i did i did watch him kind of huffing and puffing the thing that uh, john and i joked about on our most recent podcast uh, episode was that it, as soon as shohei strikes out as soon as he grounds out i'm i'm, I'm coming hard with i told you so all right just <laughs> yeah. so y'all are aware i'm coming hard with that <laughs> so like and, and andrew too when we you saw that you know him obviously super tired and tired. i mean you can't really blame the guy he's you know pitched and hit and you know was up in seattle played all those games uh what were your what were your thoughts when you saw him just struggling to get his breath yeah i, I actually had a conversation with a friend about this we were talking about who we think we're gonna who's gonna win and of course i'm picking otani because i'm a super fan right right um and he's like you know i think otani's gonna get exhausted like he's he's got a great beautiful swing but he's a very powerful swing he uses a ton of energy yeah. in his swing and i'm like well shoot that's kind of true but like no otani's invincible he'll be fine he's and then yeah. a minute in, i mean he's he's all smiles but he's huffing and puffing i'm like shoot you're right and and i think you know to a degree plus the altitude got the best of him a little bit but um yeah man he just has so much energy so much power generated from his swing that that rightfully so it's exhausting and with with respect to our team Otani's kind of been carrying the Angels for for the last few months, so he can be a little bit tired. Yeah. That's kind of fair. There's one guy that that earns that, I guess, uh, tired. Give me the break, kind of uh, mentality is definitely Otani. Even though it seems like he won't he won't take a break, he's kind of a, a they use the term gym rat, you know, for basketball and stuff like that. But it seems like he's kind of that for for baseball. From everyone I talk about, and you know, tell me about Otani. He's like they're just always like, I we don't. He shows up to the park, he leaves, he goes home, like. He's not a big talker when it comes to that kind of stuff. And he just, like I said, like a gym rat when it comes to it, just shows up and, and plays and goes home. Right. So now moving kind of like to the all-star game itself, uh, news came out, obviously, I believe it was, um, was it Monday or Tuesday? But anyways, he ended up being the leadoff batter and um, starting pitcher. So John, when you heard the news that he was going to do both and, and both in that capacity, uh, what were your first thoughts? I was thrilled. I mean, it's, it's once in a lifetime. I mean, nobody's ever done it before and we may not even see it again because we know how sometimes these guys, you know, they go to the all-star game or they go do the home run derby. And, and like we were talking about, he was exhausted from that derby. And just to know that he, he did all three, like, yeah. like we all wanted him to, that was a treat. And I was disappointed when, uh, he didn't get his third at bat when there were two runners on Kevin cash. We all know he's really good at pulling people too early. And uh, I know that we want to spare Shohei the extra energy, but uh, I was disappointed. He didn't get that third at bat and got subbed with JD Martinez, but I get it. I get it. But man, just once in a lifetime and, and I'm not sure we'll see it again. I hope we do, but uh, it was just as a fan, as a fan of his and after everything he's been through, he deserved it. He deserved that moment. He deserved all of the attention he got. 
And it was so great to see just everyone everywhere, all over baseball, showing him the love. And so, Mike, and too, when when you saw him obviously start, you see the top of that lineup when obviously Tatis is leading off and he's having the season he's having. And he's just the player that he is is great. What were you hoping to see? Did you want to see like three strikeouts? Were you just kind of like, hey, let's get the ball in play and get some outs? Let's, you know, what were your, what did you want to see out of Otani on the mound to start the game? Here, here's my thought was like, he's, he's pitching against this talented lineup, right? Mm-hmm. And Fernando Tatis leading off and, and strong batters behind him. And I think he finished the inning with 14 pitches. I think he, Perfect. You know, it, was, yeah. it was, it was a, it was a one, two, three inning. And, and I'm thinking like, wait a second. And you can't get the Yankees out like, bro, like what's going on. Right. But it just, go, it just goes to show how, how talented he really is and how even the talented guys can have a tough inning here or there. But when he struck out Tatis, it was just marvelous to see. And I'm a Tatis fan. I love the guy, but it was just marvelous to see how talented he is. And I think the best part about it was it was a moment of the angels and, and Otani announcing like, Hey, we're here. You have to recognize us. I am good. You can talk all the smack you want, but I'm actually a really talented ball player. And that was a fantastic moment. And so I honestly didn't have any expectation except just please don't get hurt. And, and he made it through that inning and I was excited about that. And he looked really, really good. Yeah. And I think they said too, that was his first clean, uh, first inning of the year wow. and it was in the all-star game <laughs> against, like you said, like Tatis and uh, yeah. Arenado was, I can't believe, he, I don't know if he was, I can't remember if he was second or third, but anyways, yeah. Uh, throwing 101. He had the hardest thrown or the highest, you know, uh, velocity pitch that day. And when you see some of the names out there and realize that he was the guy, that's again, another thing that he can kind of put a feather in his cap. Andrew, yeah. obviously the other all-star, I don't want to leave him out. Uh, Jared Walsh playing left field for the first time in his major league career in the all-star game saves, you know, two, maybe three runs. How psyched were you when you saw that? Oh yeah. I mean, that catch was a game changer um, in the entire game. It would have been a completely different game. And now might've actually picked up the win had Jared Walsh not made to that ball um, at least two runs. Right. But I think watching Jared Walsh, just all the pictures of him throughout that weekend, I was just like, man, how cool for this guy. Like he's, he's a legitimate fan of the game. Um, we love to hear him like talk. He's such a talker. And it's, it'll be really interesting to hear the stories that he's he comes out of the All-Star game with. But the way he was just able to soak everything in and be there amongst these superstars and be a superstar himself um, just brought me a ton of joy watching him get to play and then getting to see him in the game and, and make a huge impact down the line there was awesome. Yeah, Jerry Walsh, again, I think a crowd favorite now. And it's kind of fitting that it was draft week and two because 39th round pick, you know, kind of shows that, Great, you got a first round pick, but it's going to really benefit you when if you hit on those late round ones, and that's exactly what Jared is. Um, I know you guys, you know, John and Mike are, are big Jared Walsh fans, as you know, obviously we all are. But when you guys, I'll go with John first. When you found that he got elected into the All Star game by you know pretty much his peers, you know the players and the coaches, uh, how, how did you feel about that? Oh man, I've been campaigning for him uh, throughout all the voting, the All Star voting when it was still on the fans and the fans had the option to do that. And, and I was disappointed. I mean, obviously I think Vladdy jr. Was going to be difficult to beat obviously. So I'm glad that he was selected by his peers. And it just goes to show that uh, he's getting the recognition from the players that I don't think he's getting from the media or other teams just yet, or fan bases just yet. But it is cool to see that the players and his peers recognize just how special he has been for the angels this season. Yeah, and, and and now kind of looking at the All Star Game, not just Angel 
specific, but kind of at the overall view of the game. Obviously, there were some names that didn't participate because one thing or the other. I mean, you have the Grom, you have Altuve, you have, you know, uh, Yachty. You know, Mike, as a baseball fan, does that kind of damper your enthusiasm towards an all-star game? Or were you just kind of like, hey, I'm going to enjoy the people that are there and not even really worry about who decided not to come? It wasn't too unusual that people opted out. That's been the kind of the norm over the last few years. I do have to say that all of the Astros that didn't come, <laughs> I, I, I think the intention behind that was they probably didn't want to be around their peers and they didn't want to get booed at the All-Star game. And and that's probably why they they, they dumped out. Now, I know one of them's on the on the – uh, the IL, I think it's Correa that's on the IL. Yeah. But I, honestly, if they were in it or if they're not in it, I, I don't, I don't really care about Altuve and those guys. He might be talented, but I didn't w- wasn't really looking forward to that. What I actually was really excited about was the reception that Nolan Arenado got. Yeah, um, him coming out. He would already had played in Colorado. Uh, prior to that and then just wept at the at the plate as they were giving him a standing ovation so when they called him out that was such a special moment and that those are moments that I love like there's some sentimentality there because it reminds me of guys like Cal Ripken Jr. when he got called out no matter where he was people were cheering for him Ken Griffey Jr. no matter where he was people were cheering for him so I actually really enjoyed this all-star game particularly because there was a lot of names that I didn't know and I was really excited to see them hit and excited to see them pitch. So going, I'll go around the horn on this one because I, I, I have a feeling, you know, just from the social media where the answers are going to be. Andrew, uh, the All-Star Game jerseys, like them or, or not? Pass. Pass. Although I think the Angels should have an all-navy blue alternate. I thought Jose looked – or I thought um, Shohei looked great in all-navy blue, but hard pass on those okay. jerseys. John, what about you? Jerseys for the All-Star game. I feel like they accidentally left the Atlanta colors <laughs> on the uniform, uh, even though they decided to move it to Colorado. So uh, those were those were a pass for me. But uh, Andrew's got a good point. The navy blue did look really cool. So they, they were kind of like alternate Angels jerseys in a way. In a way. Yeah, <laughs> accidentally. But yeah, exactly. Right. What about you, Mike? All-Star jerseys, yay or nay? Uh, I'm going to say no, I, I didn't like them for MLB, but I did like them for like Saturday night softball that like we would that, play in, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. wear those jerseys because yeah. yeah. they were that, fantastic for us, but they were, I think they were terrible for MLB. And I always like when they don't have uh, a unified Jersey. I like when they wear their own Jersey. Yeah, me too. Me, like that just, there's something special about that. Yeah. And this is actually the first year where that I can remember where it wasn't that usually they have like the special alternate all-star jerseys for, uh, the home run derby. And that's what everyone wears. Right. And then, you know, in years past, you've seen that. And then they wear their actual team jerseys on the field for the all-star game, which I think, um, I guess, thank you, Nike. I guess that's their, <laughs> their call on that one. That's <laughs> them trying to show off their stuff. But anyways, yeah, I was not a big fan of that either. Even though Andrew had a great point, it's kind of an alternate angels Jersey uh, preview. Hopefully, you know, city connect in a few years, who knows what will happen with, with that. So obviously that was the all-star game. Great fun. Home run derby was great. You know, Pete Alonzo, uh, you know, stole the show. Absolutely. But so expectations going into this year. So we'll switch it a little bit now to the angels and, and what's happened so far. Expectations coming into this year. Obviously, you had Otani back. You've made uh you get Rendon for a full year. You had Bundy coming off a great year. And you know, you made small you know, additions. You have a new GM, you're kind of hyped about that. Andrew, coming into the season, what were your expectations for the Angels? Yeah, I think there were a few expectations, but a lot of hope. I will start with Bundy. I think I expected him to regress a little bit, just coming off a 60-game season. It's hard to really play on on the stats that happened there. Um 
So I expect a little bit of aggression, not quite what we've seen, especially the velo dip that's been concerning. Um, but I was more so hopeful that the revamp bullpen would be more reliable than what we've seen. I was hopeful that Alex Cobb and Jose Quintana would come and turn some of their, at least their older form and be serviceable pitchers. Um, Cobb's fantastic. We know Quintana has not. Um, but I think there was more hope in that these the, the, the revamp would, would make some sort of um, bring in some more effectiveness um, than what we've seen so far. Um, than much of expectations. And what about you, Mike? What was your kind of thought coming out of spring training and when the season's actually going to start? I was like, wow, we're going to get 162. And what was your thoughts? Well, I'm either like the best fan or the worst fan because I get <laughs> hyped on the Angels when they're doing well. And when they're not doing well, I'm I'm ready to quit. And so they teased me with that seven and four start. And so yeah. I, as they got as they got started and I was watching them play, I thought, man, this is going to be a really good season. And then when the injuries hit, Dexter Fowler went down and then it just felt like everything started to fall apart. I, I began to think, well, maybe we're not going to do well. I, I did kind of anticipate that we would be in the low eighties when it comes to wins. And right now that's probably where we'll end up, but I, I am excited to see what happens in the second half. And hopefully with all of these injuries, guys coming back, people getting healed, especially Mike Trout. I'm hopeful that this, this next second half will be powerful. And John, what about you? What was your expectations? You know, coming into the season, I, I really wasn't worried about this uh, one through nine lineup. And I thought yeah. that as long as our starting pitching was was fine, maybe even less than fine and could <laughs> hold it to four or five runs a game, like we have enough pop and power and the ability to score in this lineup that, you know, whether or not the starters have a good day or not, we still have the ability to outscore the other team. Unfortunately, we've seen one too many blowups where it's like, Hey, it's a seven run inning in the first How did, <laughs> Like, should I watch the rest of the game? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's one thing too, is I, I, this, this, this offense, when they're firing on all cylinders and, and everybody who's supposed to be there is healthy and not hurt. There seems to always be a chance that this team can, can come back, even if they're down late in the game. Um, that's been really cool to see. So, yeah, my expectation was if, if the pitching was fine, subpar, just a little bit par, we would have a pretty good chance. But as we've seen, it's, it's been more of a problem than I anticipated originally. Yeah, for, for me coming into it, I was the same way was the offense was going to have to carry this team, you know, like, yeah, like, like Andrew mentioned, you, you expected a little bit of a fallback from Bundy. Like he was having such a good year. That was such kind of an outlier from his previous uh, years, like in Baltimore that you kind of figured, okay, that was, that was great, but I don't know if that's necessarily uh, can be duplicated. So for them to, like you said, get injured and then just pitchers, Having and I think the, the frustrating part was pitchers having great spring trainings, and you know you can't necessarily translate everything in spring training over, but you kind of figured you know all right at least they're going in the right way, and for it, like none of it to carry over was I think the biggest thing for me, and, and that was kind of my biggest uh, uh, surprise of the first half. What, what was uh, Mike? What was your biggest surprise uh, of the first half? Biggest surprise for me, I think, was uh, John's favorite player, Jose Rojas, actually uh, coming through um, in some big games. Not his favorite player, honestly. But uh, seeing, seeing somebody like Jose Rojas, seeing somebody like uh, Phil Goslin, some of those guys that have come in and have filled in nicely. Even Juan Lagares, I know that he was supposed to be maybe the fourth outfielder, but he has played some really incredible defense. And so that 
that was a pleasant surprise to me because typically what we've seen from the Angels is that those guys that are coming up to replace the the starters, they don't hold their own. They actually are are really subpar. And so it's been nice to see that our AAA team can actually hold their own in the MLB. And, and what about you, Andrew? I'll go to you. What is the biggest surprise you've had so far in this first half? Yeah, for me, and, and this might be a weird one, but that Jared Walsh was an all-star. Yeah. Um, mm. He was someone who didn't have a great spring, and I was really, really worried about the fact that, like, was this just a hot September month yep. that came at the very end of the season? Um, and he shut me up within the first few games, <laughs> right? Um, and has kept it up, and that's been the surprise more. He continues, like, I listen to podcasts for, like, fantasy baseball, and they keep saying, oh, Walsh is going to regress, regress. And he keeps shutting everyone up, and he's still playing like an all-star. I mean, I think he'll continue to play. But he he was kind of the biggest surprise to me that he's playing to the caliber that we saw in September. Right. I think that was the biggest thing. Cause even when I talked to him at the end of the season last year and just kind of casually, I was like, Hey, do you know if you extrapolated your numbers through a whole 162, what you would have? And of course I'm being just Jared Walton. Like, no, I didn't really look. I'm like, all right, well, let me tell you. Cause I did. And baseball reference has a good job of that. And yeah. it was like, you know, if this month went, went over for the full year, you would have 53 home runs and 140 something RBIs. And he was like, wow. And I'm like, yeah, that's how hot you were this month. But mm. um, it's great to see that. You're right. That this wasn't a fluke. He's, he's a legit MLB player now. And Absolutely. for a guy that was in the minor leagues last year for a little bit, uh, it's, it's really great. What about you, John? What's, what's the surprise you had? Biggest surprise for me, honestly, is somebody that I've been rooting for the last couple of seasons and really wanting to see him do well, and that's Patrick Sandoval. And just the fact that he accidentally fell into that starting role when he had to fill in for Shohei because he was late for the A's game. Whose idea was it to drive across the Bay Bridge in the afternoon? I don't know (laughs) who decided that was a good idea. Suzuki, that's who it was. Uh An A's saboteur. (laughs) But no, Patrick Sandoval, his, his coming around and him doing really well and earning that starting rotation spot, man, I, I, I'm so excited and so thrilled that he's really turned the corner this year And in the same vein, I could say the same thing for Jose Suarez. I mean, they have talked about him for the last couple of years, um, having good stuff. And, and then when he comes up to pitch, not seeing it in 2019 or 2020. um, But I think that was just youth and inexperience. And now that he's had a couple of, of uh, instances where he can come out and show what he's got. um, He's really turned a corner as well. So our young starting pitching turning the corner this season has been the biggest surprise for me. Yeah. You, you mentioned his age, Jose Suarez. And I mentioned this on the podcast too. If you look at his age, you look at some of the ages of these like seniors coming out of the draft that, you know, just got drafted. They're like around the same age. You know, these guys um, went to college and they developed that way. Suarez, you know, obviously being an international signing went through the, the farm system and developed that way. But you look at it, it's like they're the same age. So you're hyped about this guy coming out of this school. Well, guess what? Suarez came out of a different school, which is the minor league school. And now, you know, now the angels are kind of benefiting from that kind of upbringing, which is like you mentioned, Mike or John. Uh, great. I mean, it's always been pitching and now these young guys can continue to do it. So obviously, obviously with every surprise, there's kind of a disappointment also. So I'll, I'll go to you first, Andrew. Biggest disappointment of the year uh, so far? Our, this is an easy one to pick, but it's, it's our pitching. It's yeah. the fact that our pitching, just it feels like a broken record, and that we're constantly more and more just like, when is our pitching finally going to click and, and, and be – what we need to win right um i kind of like did some like stat digging before this podcast to try to figure out kind of how to describe our like what our pitching woes have been 
Starting pitching ranks 28th in total innings pitched. Mm. Relief pitching ranks 5th in total innings pitched. Mm. So there's a clear issue with our starters not going far enough and our relief pitchers being taxed. Um, and then when it comes to inherited runners. Oh, that's a whole different. Yeah. That's a whole <laughs> other conversation, right? We lead the league in inherited runners um, and then lead the league in inherited runners scoring naturally. Um, and I think, you know, it's a product of Madden pulling guys early and he, he takes a lot of the starts out with guys still on base. It's kind of just the way he runs his pitching. Um, I can go further into these, into, into kind of the stats here, but it's, it's the broken record that starting pitching feels like and how frustrating it is to watch these inherited runners score so much. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And then even the union pinpoint too, like besides the bullpen, you see, like you mentioned before, like Bundy just not being close to the Bundy was last year. Quintana not being close to what he's been in the past where these, both of these guys are getting kind of like demoted. And now we have, you know, to John's credit, like he's mentioned Sandoval and and Suarez kind of taking the place and kind of now getting that youth movement going. Uh, But, but John, yeah. So what was, what would be your kind of disappointment uh, of the year so far? I think it's starting out with a lineup that we had at the beginning of the season and we came out of the gate really hot, had that great series against the White Sox, but then the injury bug hitting us. And I think that all of these injuries have been super disappointing and it, and it all started with Fowler and being out for the season with, with the torn ACL. Um, but just the fact that, you know, Trout's been out as long as he's been um, Upton's back and forth. Rendon has been on it. Gosh, this is the third time I think. And uh, it's just, it's brutal. And it, it just stinks because it's like, we know how good our lineup can be. Like I said, one through nine, when all of our top players are, are in that lineup. And I think it's to be expected a little bit, especially after the short season last year. Um, you know, the conditioning's different. The, the expectations are different. I mean, you know, it's, it's three times as long as it was last year. And <laughs> And, uh, you know, they weren't even sure if they were going to play last year for a while. So uh, I, I, I really think and you, you see this across the entire league, all of these kind of freak injuries that are going on. Um, but but yeah, the biggest disappointment for me, I think, is just the, the number of injuries we've had and, and who they they have happened to with Trout and Rendon and Upton and guys we really need to be in that lineup. Yeah, same thing to you, Mike. What, what's something that, you know, uh, a disappointment so far this year? That we can't beat teams in the West. That's the yeah. biggest disappointment, I think, is we're, <laughs> we're 10 games over 500 against everybody else, but we can't beat the Mariners. We can't beat the A's. We can't beat Houston. We can't even beat Texas when we've played them. And so if we actually played 500 ball against the West, our record would actually be seven or eight games over 500 currently. And wow. if we're going to do anything, if we're going to move in the second half, then we got to we gotta leap those teams. And yeah, we'll probably leap Cleveland and we'll probably leap New York, but... <laughs> We still have Seattle and we still have Oakland ahead of us. We have to be able to beat them. And so that's been the biggest disappointment is we got to beat those teams. Cause here's the thing it, when we don't beat them and then we go to angel stadium and watch the games, their fans are terrible because they are <laughs> relentless against us. Right. And so those games are so necessary when we actually, uh, when we're actually heading into the second half. Yeah. That's, that's a great point too. Cause those matchups you really got to take advantage of because they are in division. You are playing them the most. Like, what are you playing? Like each team 19 times or, or around there, um, especially with Seattle, you know, going up into Seattle this last series before the break, um, going on a lot of momentum too. you know, great mm-hmm. series against Boston, swept Baltimore. Can you even look back to the Yankees uh, series and taking two out of the three with the rain delay or rain postponement in there? 
but yeah, it seems like if a team has a, the AL West anywhere connected to that franchise, it's it gets kind of uh, worrisome. But Andrew, you know, strength obviously has to be this lineup. How do you see that lineup even getting stronger once these guys come back? Like they mentioned, you know, the Uptons, the Trouts, the Rendones. I mean, we're going to work the heck out of pitchers once we get a full lineup. I mean, your number, like your top five being, I don't know who's going to bat leadoff. That's a whole separate discussion between Justin Upton and David Fletcher and who you put there. Um, They're both killing it. Yeah, you you face one of them, followed by Shohei Otani, followed by um, Mike Trout, and then Rendon, if he can get hot and stay healthy, just stay healthy, not even get hot. Just keep Rendon healthy, (laughs) get him consistent play. That's going to be a game changer. And then Jared Walsh and all-star batting fair. I mean, we're going to wear out pitchers, which is huge, get to bullpens faster and just work teams more with these, with this like deathly lineup. Yeah. And John, what's, what's your, I, when, you know, Andrew kind of put out there what the lineup could look like, but what, if you had to put that lineup together with those guys back with, you know, Upton having success in that leadoff spot, having Fletcher having success in that leadoff spot, having the, you know, obviously the streak he has now, how would you, you know, put that lineup together if you're the manager. I think I'd put Upton at the top still. I, I don't think that he's finished yet, and I don't think that he's demonstrated that he's done at the top of the lineup yet. I know that he got hurt, but I mean, just the change that occurred when he did get moved to the front was just spectacular. And I think you ride that until it's not good anymore. And I think putting Fletcher in the nine hole and having him bat at the bottom of the order, I mean, it just gives you another runner in front of Shohei to drive in some runs hit a home run. And if it's not Shohei, then it's trout behind him. So I think, I think you continue to stay, stick with Upton and, and until it doesn't work anymore. And, and Mike, obviously when trout comes back, he's probably the biggest acquisition the angels could get, you know, including trade deadline wise, like he's going to be like that trade line or trade deadline acquisition for the angels. But besides him, who do you think is going to have more of an impact if they stay healthy Rendon or Upton? I, I think it's going to be Rendon because Rendon plays really solid defense. And there was a game just last week, and John actually pointed this out, where Renhifo was playing third and he threw it to first and Walsh had to jump and try to make the tag and the runner ended up being safe. And then it was an inning where the team, I think it was the Red Sox, ended up scoring. Rendon is just solid at third base. And his offense, obviously, when he starts going, he's he's going to go. But I think it's that third base defense that's really important to our team, especially when Alex Cobb is on the mound and he's a ground ball pitcher. And so having somebody at third that you know is going to be consistent and he's going to get the ball over to first and it's not going to be an adventure, getting it over there is really important for the second half. Yeah, you know, obviously, and I mentioned this on, our, on my last podcast, is there's just something about Rendon when he's at third and there's a ground ball to him, you you feel confident, like, okay, cool. He's going to make a, a clean play. He's going to make the right play, whether it's, you know, trying to get a double play or knowing that, okay, I can't get the guy at second, so let's, let me get the out at first kind of deal. Um, but you just don't have that feeling pretty much with anyone else there, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, uh, like you mentioned, Renhifo or even Goslin sometimes, just kind of like, oh, I hope he, you know, can make that, that standard throw, I guess. So uh, I'm traumatized by uh, who was the starting third baseman like a handful of years ago. Um, uh, who was it that was Escobar? Was it es- was that same Escobar? He was on the Nationals and he came Gino over. Escobar? You know, yeah. yeah. It always yeah. seemed like the easiest throws that were, you know, quick, easy, boom, and take your time and get it over there. He would never do it. But when someone laid out on bunt and it was a rush or something like that, he got it every time. But ever since then, I'm like, I'm like, I always kind of wince when I see a ground ball to third, just because you never know what what's what's going to happen. That can change momentum so quickly in a game if that guy now, instead of being out at first, is now on second because of a, a overthrown ball. 
so that's kind of like obviously what happened with the Angels in the in the first half. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit real quick after this break about the second half. Well, we can see, you know, possibly people getting called up, the draft, all that stuff. So we'll be right back after this. You work hard and you play hard. So treat yourself and stock up for summer barbecues with Kansas City Steak Company. Visit KansasCitySteak.com and get 10% off your order and free shipping with code SD at checkout. From classic steak cuts to USDA Prime to American-style Kobe, hard-to-find specialty cuts, and more, Kansas City Steaks has everything you need to fire up the grill. They make it super easy. Each order from Kansas City Steaks is flash frozen and delivered directly to your home. Satisfaction is guaranteed or your money back. Imagine relaxing in the backyard with family while enjoying steakhouse quality meals from Kansas City Steaks. Try their butter tender filet mignon, Kansas City strip, juicy steak burgers, all beef jumbo hot dogs, and even a complete meal combos. Bring the steakhouse to your home this summer with Kansas City Steaks. Go to KansasCitySteaks.com and get 10% off your order and free shipping with code SD. That's KansasCitySteaks.com. Promo code SD. Again, that's KansasCitySteaks.com. Promo code SD. I want to talk about Spotify Green Room. Spotify Green Room is a live, audio-only sports talk platform, which is free to download and free to use. You can talk to other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. Perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns and reacting to breaking news all you need to do is download the spotify green room app free in the ios or android app store create a profile link it to your twitter and join that's it it's that easy so go ahead and check out spotify green room And welcome back. And again, I'm with the brothers from the Super Halo Brothers podcast, John and Mike and Andrew from top uh, from Angels Top Plays on social media. So the draft just happened. 20 rounds. Angels, 19 college pitchers, one high school pitcher. Everyone, <laughs> everyone said they need yeah. Everyone says they want need pitching. Well, um, they're gonna draft all of them and see hopefully one or two pan out. But Andrew, when you saw this run of pitchers for the angels and we'll get to the first round pick in a little bit, but just the overall draft, you know, what were your thoughts when you saw 20 for 20 and then even 19 of them being college pitchers? Yeah. I think I got to 15 and I was like, you know what, if it's not all pitchers at this point, I'm kind of going to be upset. Like, <laughs> let's, just, let's just load it up with pitchers and see what happens. I think it's super hard to grade and i use quotations with, with yeah. grade this draft i think it's hard to grade any draft but this specifically because it's it's i mean it clearly addresses a systematic need within the angels organization and i think it'll be a few years looking back okay like you know did we find did we like pull some good guys out of this and i our, our um scouting director kind of mentioned this with the five round draft last year there were so many college pitchers who went undrafted because of how short and then decided to go for an extra year um, of college that that it's very possible that there were a lot of good arms late in the drafts here. And it seems like they definitely took advantage of that. Yeah. And, and same thing to you, John, you know, pitching has always been, it seems like for you know last 10 years, it seems like it's been an issue for the angels. Uh, were you happy? Did you like that strategy? Did you want to see at least, you know, a couple position players? Cause I mean, you're going to need position players sooner or later. Did you, are you happy with the 20, 20 for 20? Yeah, I'm with Andrew. Once once they got that far into it with with all 
pitching, it was like, yeah, just go for it. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's go all 20. I think that uh, something that maybe not a lot of people have considered is how much you can use some of these pitchers as, as trade chips and, you know, get other interested teams yep. interested in uh, these players and, and get the position players that you need. But I mean, when you stockpile pitching, pitching is always in demand, no matter what team you are. I think that once you, once the fact that we have all of these pitchers, I think that we'll see some of them, you know, make an impact shortly, uh, maybe even as soon as this year, um, next year. And then it, the ones that uh, we can spare, send them to other teams and, and get the pieces that we might need in terms of position players. Yeah. I love that point, John. That's a really yeah. good point. You know, you're right. That's great. Trade tips, trade chips. And you saw this year kind of pan out a little bit with the angels with, you obviously with like Blake Snell and you Darvish on, on the trade market with, for San Diego, the biggest thing, the reason why I went to San Diego is they had so much pitching depth that they can afford to trade a yeah. pitcher here or there and get a guy ready now where with the angels, you're going to have to trade Chris Rodriguez or Reed Detmers and you can't afford to give those guys up. But if you have a, 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 a mountain of pitching prospects and yeah, giving up one or two for a guy that's proven now is only going to benefit you. Definitely. Absolutely. What about you, Mike? What did you, how did you feel about, about the draft and the whole process with it? I gave Perry Manassian a standing ovation because <laughs> we have struggled for years, right? With pitching. We've struggled for years of trying to find good pitchers and then, Hey, could we bring up pitchers? And then they would come up and it was a kind of half-hearted player, not a really great player, maybe third or fourth in our starting rotation. And I love that he just went for it because now I'm anticipating that perhaps we're going to be able to see uh, some great young studs come up in the next few years. Uh, I'm currently a fan of Reed Detmers. I think that it, he would be a really great asset for our team this year, if not next year. And so I was grateful that, hey, we've been struggling with pitchers for years. And Perry's like, watch me work and picked 20 pitchers. And I loved it. Yeah. And so now kind of going to that first round pick. Um, I mean, if you go back to like 2020, obviously the biggest names, I guess, in that draft class was going to be Kumar rocker. And obviously um, uh, uh, lighter Jack lighter. Um, they were going to go one, two, you know, the order was undetermined, but you always feel like those guys would go back to back. Well, Kumar rocker fell to the angels at nine. Angels end up going with a different college pitcher, uh, Sam Bachman, out of the University of Miami, Ohio. Um, but there, that stirred up a lot of conversations, I guess. And I'm sure you guys, all three of you guys being connected to social media, saw that from Angels fans. So, Andrew, what was your initial thought when they passed on Kumar Rocker, who was probably the hottest guy, you know, two years ago, one year ago? Yeah, I was pretty genuinely shocked. I was I was on Instagram live and I think I was I was somewhat dumbfounded. I kind of just went ahead and ended the live. <laughs> but, <laughs> um yeah, I mean I was shocked. I'm I'm still somewhat shocked. I, I Sam Bachman wasn't someone I had kind of in my mix of possibilities, so I didn't know much about him when his name came out. Um but it did at the time just feel too good to be true. So it was, he's, he's a really big name. And I think that's part of it is he became such a big name pretty early on in his college career with that no, like immaculate no hitter he threw. Um, but my distraction was just like shock. And then like, okay, I'm going to trust the angels. Let me go learn about Sam Bachman. And I was happy with what I found. Yeah. And, and Sam, for, from what I kind of, again, same thing kind of generally, obviously, you know, Kumar, obviously, you know, the Vandy guys, but I didn't know much about Sam, but you look at, how he's progressed as far as velocities has been, 
you know, going the right way with Kumar, you know, there's been kind of a question mark about his velocity and kind of dipping here and there. But John, same thing with you. Were you, how did you feel about the passing of Kumar and how did you feel about, you know, the ultimate first round, you know, uh, Sam? Well, I think hashtag tank for Kumar started at the beginning (laughs) of the 2020 season. It did. Yep. And I think people were so invested in that and saying let's blow it this year so we can have number one pick next year and they were so i think that's where a lot of the social media disappointment came from was the fact that like it fell into our laps and then we didn't go with kumar and i think that i saw a uh and i know that these are just projections but i i did see a draft a mock draft where it had the dodgers taking sam bachman Mm -hmm. and i'm like okay it, with with the player development that the Dodgers have and their system, whoever the Dodgers want, I think that I want. And I think after the <laughs> dust settled with with uh, Kumar and us picking Bachman, I'm with Andrew. Like I looked into it a little bit. I liked what I saw. The fact that he could even appear in the bullpen as soon as this season, I think, plays big time for us. So I'm a fan. I think that uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see how Kumar does with the Mets, but I also have to consider, you know, he fell to nine. That means teams one through eight didn't take him either. And I I think I'm more confident in Perry and, and the front office team that he brought in and, and their insight and their wisdom. I feel a lot more confident with him at the helm than like with Epler or something like that. So. Yeah. And so same question to you, Mike, how was your initial Shock, I guess, is a good way for a lot of people when the Angels did not draft Kumar Rocker with the ninth overall pick. You know, I actually read an article about uh, the cost of Kumar Rocker and maybe what he was Mm going to hold out for. And I wonder if that had a lot to do with the Angels passing on him um, because we have uh, shown in the past that we would pay for certain people and Roberto Baltakin was one that didn't pan out at all. I think that was the same draft that somebody named Vlad Guerrero oh, Jr. was in. Those roles are a little bit different. I don't know if it's a draft necessarily, but yeah, the international is kind of crazy. Yeah, and so it was just, I wonder if that had something to do with it. And as a fan, I mean, I've heard the name of Kumar Rocker, but um, I actually did some research when he dropped to us and saw some of the hashtags that John was talking about. But my guess is that maybe perhaps his number was just too high. And again, to reinforce John's point, like there are other teams that passed on him. So maybe there's something there, whether it be physical or maybe it'd be mental or maybe character wise that teams were like, nah, not about that. Yeah. And I think that had to play a lot to do with it. I was actually talking with another um, angel Instagram about it and and they were so set on already just totally messing this up and stuff like that but it did come out that Kumar did settle with or sign with the Mets for a six million dollar bonus which is um, over the 4.74 million dollar slot so he was well over 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 paid and if you know if you go by the slots but just so people know when it comes to a draft it's not you know, spend as much as you want. You're only limited X amount of money per draft per team. So in theory is that if you can get a guy at value or maybe even below value, maybe you can spend on these other prospects later in the round that might be on the border of going back to school, um, obviously. So I think that's kind of played into the angels hands a little bit, whereas like, we're not going to blow all our money on one guy because obviously we need the depth. You know, some teams, 
probably do need like one or two lockdown guys because they have everything else kind of settled behind them. But obviously for the angels, that's not them. They need that, you know, uh, system depth, which you get past, you know, the debt merge, you get past the, you know, Sandoval's, the Suarez's, you know, the, the guys kind of on the brink now, but below that, there's not a whole lot of guys there. So hopefully this is kind of like, we're going to restock the shelves because we're going to be calling these guys up in a bit. But I think, yeah, I think that's that's a good point, too, that Mike brought up. It was like, maybe it's just too expensive. And maybe, you know, it didn't fit in their financial plan, which is a whole nother part of baseball that gives me a headache just in general. But, yeah, so <laughs> I, I was not I was not disappointed by Kumar. You know, obviously, again, him being the name and college baseball only has so many names that transcend right. fan bases. You know, every fan base, regardless of who you root for, knew who Kumar Rocker was because of the whole Vandy thing. And I'm sure if you were in the Ohio Midwest um, area, you knew who who Sam was. But you know, obviously, us being West Coast, probably didn't know him that well. Um, but that kind of brings up prospects. You know, obviously, all these guys are going to go into the prospect system, and hopefully, you get out of the 20. You know, if you get like three or four major league pitchers, you're you're doing something. That was a good draft, which I think people lose track of. It's like if you get three guys that are MLB caliber players in each draft, you have had a good one. But Besides the guys that just got drafted, I'm going to go to uh, John first. What are some of the prospects that you are excited about or just you want to see come up? Well, Mike and I have been talking about it on our podcast a lot. And just with the outfield issues that we've had, uh, uh, and and Mike might agree with this, but but we've been talking about Joe Adele coming up. And I understand that there's, you know, there's some things that they want him to work on and some things they want him to get better at, but you know, when, when you've got Phil Gosselin missing fly balls out in left field, it's like, can we have somebody who's supposed to be out there and, and make those errors? Because at least, you know, he's built for that. And at least, you know, let's, let's get some youth onto this team and and give them a chance to kind of shine a little bit. So I think for me, it's, it's kind of the obvious one, but I would like to see Adele up at some point uh, during this season. Um, And I think, by doing so it could kind of light a fire under this team, especially with how borderline we are in terms of, of securing a wild card spot. I think it would be really great to get some of that youth and some of that energy. I think that he's a much different person than he was last season. And last season was weird anyway, <laughs> doesn't count in my book, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think that he would be a much different person if he were to come up uh, sometime this month or next month. And what about you, Mike? What's a prospect you're excited to see or even, you know, hopefully get brought up to the Angels? All right, say it with me. Read Detmers. You know, like I want to see these pitchers come up and I want to see these guys dominate. And I, I love what we've seen from Patrick Sandoval and I've loved what we've seen from Jose Suarez. And I think if we can get Detmers into that vein of – Hey man, come up and let's work out the kinks. And he's already done well in the minor leagues. He was in the futures game. And so I'd love to see him come up and, and get some innings in. I think what we saw from Jared Walsh last year is why we see him doing well this year. He had significant games. He was given time to play, given time to make mistakes. And I think when it comes to some of our pitchers, specifically Detmers, I'd love to see him get some solid innings under his belt. So that way, if this year is kind of a wash next year, could be a year starting spring training and be in the rotation. Can you imagine a rotation with Sandoval Suarez and Detmers pitching for us? And then possibly Chris Rodriguez. And then maybe we, 
we sign a big arm or something like that. But that rotation sounds so much better than what we have right now. <laughs> no, you're right. And, you know, Detmers is a guy that, again, has a name because of the first round pick. He's striking out everybody. But me and Andrew even talked about this a little bit. We're, we're messaging back and forth. That whole staff down there is actually doing a really good job. And when you look at the numbers, Detmers is like second or third on a lot of categories, like ERA, whip, you know, besides strikeouts where he's kind of the landslide in that. But there's a lot of good pitching down there. Andrew, what's who's a prospect you want to see uh, come up with the, uh, for the Angels or you're just excited in general for? Yeah, just to, just to add context to what you said, because we did look at it last week. Kyle Tyler is currently um, ranked first on ERA down there with the Trash Pandas at 3.47. And then I'm looking at right now the highest or, or best whip is Cooper Criswell. Uh, 1.03. So two names that I'm not super familiar with, but Reed Demers, of course, right up there in that mix as well. Um, but that's our rotation down there for the trash band just does look super nice. For me, I just like I'd like to just see any of these young pitchers who are playing well move up into the bullpen. Um, I loved the Andrew Wants move. He was a guy I wasn't too familiar with, yeah. but he's the guy who's been crushing it down in triple A. Mm-hmm. Give him a spot in the bullpen because right now our bullpen is struggling. We talked about is- earlier, like <laughs> what's it gonna do? to just put these guys in and try them out and see how they do. So I wouldn't mind seeing more of these, these young pitching prospects who are doing well, give them a shot in the bullpen and see how they do. I'm not sure if they want to do Reed Detmers there or give them more time to develop in, in the minors or, or what that looks like, but some of these maybe lesser-known guys, I think could be really interesting. Yeah, and, and part of it too with the minor league, um, obviously not having a season last year, a lot of these guys didn't do anything last year. I mean, not didn't do anything because obviously they worked out something, but – they didn't go out and play games. They didn't go out and, you know, throw bullpen sessions with the trainer that's, you know, team appointed kind of deal. So um, I've heard from, from a couple people that just the quality of minor league baseball this year, because of the, that fact that guys just weren't able to work out as like they used to last year is not great. So it's harder for some of these evaluators to, you know, get an honest judgment on, you know, pitchers or outfielders or whatever, middle infielders, just because, it, it, the, the the level of play isn't what it normally is. And I think that's something that's going to eventually come back more and more. They're out there, obviously, but just that year off last year for those guys, again, you had the um, alternate site, but I mean, that's a fraction of what's in the system. So uh, I think that's going to be a really hard thing for, for these, you know, front office guys to kind of judge, but Andrew wants brought up uh, bringing, being brought up was great because um, you look at his numbers in salt Lake. And if you know anything about that triple a division, to that league, I mean, it is not pitcher friendly at all. That's that's where you go for pitchers to die pretty much. And he was at, a, I think, a sub three ERA. I think it was around like a two, three or something like that ERA down there. And uh, again, adding depth to the bullpen that is desperately needed. But I just wish they would use him more because I don't think he's got he I don't think he got any run at all in Seattle. Um, you know, I think he's only he came in for the 4th of July. And I think that might have been his only one time he was he was brought into a game. And you was like, well, we're going to bring him up use them and i just feel like he hasn't uh joe hasn't really used them appropriately and that's kind of going to lead into my next uh topic joe madden as a manager and obviously i'm sure uh, you guys seen it again on social media joe has not made a ton of fans this year with some of his moves either going to the going to certain guys in the bullpen pulling out guys too early stuff like that so mike how has been your kind of overall uh, feeling towards Joe and his kind of managerial style? Well, we would always get frustrated with Mike Sosha because Sosha would hang with the veteran, right? He would say, well, we got to give him a shot. He's got this credibility. He's got this history. And with Joe Madden, it seemed like Joe wasn't going to be that. And then there were some games where it felt like his trigger was 
way too soon? Or why did you take him out? He only had 80 pitches. What was going on there? Or when you took Canning out of a game, I think Canning had 67 pitches one time. And, and so I'm not a huge fan of some of the metrics that determine like, Hey, when you pull a pitcher out or when you don't like when Kevin cash did pull out Blake Snell, like what a train wreck that is. And you couldn't, you can't anticipate that. Right. But I, I love the manager who is going to give guys a run, but he's also going to, he's also going to go with his gut. And I felt like there have been some times where Joe has gone with his gut and it's turned out well, and he's got a great history. He's got a great track record with the Cubs and with Tampa Bay of making, making correct moves. I feel like sometimes there's this angel curse where we get a really good player or we get a really good manager. And then suddenly they come to Anaheim and then their brain melts out the side of their ear or something like that. Right. <laughs> like, and, and we're wondering like what happened to this guy. And so I feel like Joe's made some good moves and, and I feel like Joe has really made some mistakes. So I'm kind of like, 50 50 on Joe right now. And I want to like him because he's got such a great history with the angels and I couldn't stand Brad Osmus. And so I want to like him. And I think that what we're seeing this year is that Joe is building his culture. And if you read any conversations about leadership, you know that it takes at least three years to build a culture. First year you inherit what was there. Second year, you're kind of mixing both what you want and what the previous person had. And I think 2022 is going to be the year that we're going to say, all right, this is Joe's team. I think the Cubs winning in 2016 is kind of an example of that. That was when it was Joe's team, Tampa going to the world series, I believe what? Oh, eight. And that, that was when it was Joe's team. And so I think what he's doing right now is, is really mixing in his culture and his vibe. So I'm willing to give him as if I have any power, right? I'm willing yeah. to give him a shot and, and, and be patient with him, but I would love to see some of those moves where he has a quick hook for some of our young guys, let them go a little bit longer. Like Sandoval. of all, canning some of those guys. I want to see them be able to fight through some of those innings, especially if we're not necessarily going to make the playoffs. I would love for them to learn how to do that now. Yeah. What about you, John? How, how are your thoughts? What are your thoughts with Madden and his kind of managerial style right now? Yeah, I'm back and forth with Madden. I think a great demonstration of, of a good decision he made earlier this season was letting Otani stay in against the White Sox. It was a difficult situation. It was the one where, you know, he got taken down at home plate. Obviously, you couldn't anticipate that happening, but it was a it was a high-pressure situation and he let Otani go through with with that inning and let him pitch and and I think after the collision he he pulled him just to be safe. But for me, I remember watching that and thinking that's really cool that he's giving Otani the chance in his first start back to get out of this inning. And that's the kind of decision that Joe makes that I really like. Um, I'm with Mike in the sense that sometimes he has that quick hook. Um, and sometimes he just goes, he just seems to go to the same guys in the same situations in that bullpen. And I understand he doesn't have a lot of options in that yeah. bullpen, but like you mentioned, Daniel, like Andrew wants is, is fresh in that bullpen. And we've only seen him once or twice. I think, you know, I know that C-Rod, struggled when he came back from from the injured list uh, but we didn't see much of him either and then when he did go out there he struggled um, so you know I'm back and forth on some of his decisions I think one thing that I do appreciate about him is the kind of stuff that he does with the lineup where he's moving a Justin Upton to the leadoff spot and he's he's staggering the lineup as you know hit guy hit guy uh, home run guy, you know, hit guy on base guy, home run guy. Like he's staggering the lineup and spreading that out really well. 
And uh, so I've appreciated some of the lineups that he's constructed this season. And I know a lot of people say you got to be consistent and have the same, you know, one through four at the top. And does but I, I, I don't believe that. I think that if you have the freedom to experiment uh, that you should. And I think that Joe has demonstrated that sometimes that pays off, especially in the case with Upton. Yeah. I think too, with the lineup thing, it's kind of like, yeah, when you have your, and we talked about it earlier, when you have the guys back, it's pretty much set in stone. You're going to have, you know, whether it's Upton or Fletcher in that one spot, but then you're going to mm-hmm. go Otani trout and either probably Walsh at this point. Right. until Rendon heats up. And then, yeah, it's easy to set that top four in stone when you have those guys there, you know, if they are in a slump, it's not going to be for that long. Yeah. Um, but Andrew, you know, Madden, what, what are your takeaways with Madden as the manager as a whole? I mean, I guess it's kind of a year now if you, add the 60 games from last year and then, you know, the, the first half this year. Yeah, I think, I mean, he's definitely made his fair share of questionable decisions. Things like putting Quintana in, in a high leverage situation where he's not been pitching well is, is certainly a recent memory questionable decision. Um, but I think to, to, to a degree, this has been a hard bullpen to manage because they've been fairly inconsistent. Um, and there, I found this one set that I think paints this picture almost perfectly the Angels are ranked second in the amount of appearances in which a relief pitcher has pitched more than three outs. They also rank second in which a relief pitcher in which a relief pitcher has pitched less than three outs. They're <laughs> the only team that ranks in the top five in both of those categories, which I think screams inconsistency. So it's hard right. when you get these guys who all of a sudden are playing kind of well, and it's like, oh, we can trust them, throw them in the spot, um, and and they all of a sudden aren't the pitcher that they've been the last few appearances. So there's a bit of inconsistency there. It's, it's kind of hard to manage. Doesn't mean he hasn't made questionable decisions, but I think at some point you have to look at the players performing. Yeah. I think that's a big thing too. Like, c had like a stretch where he was great for, you know, five or six appearances where it was like perfect, you know, five or six perfect innings. You're like, okay, great. Or, you know, um, even Iglesias seems to write the ship, but he was kind of sketchy for the beginning part of the season after that initial save on opening day. I remember that. Um, yeah, I think the bullpen is a, it's a real weird, uneasy decision. Like, you know, for me personally, I like to judge the action while it's kind of in motion, not the result, you know, Oh, I like this guy here. Oh, didn't work out, but I still like the move. And I think, mm-hmm. There's been times where Joe has done that where it's like it didn't work out. I think people are killing him. But I'm like, I like that move. It just didn't work mm-hmm. out. And it goes to what That's Andrew good. was saying. You just got to have guys that perform. But there's also been times like, you know, whether C-Check or whether, you know, when Slagers, when he was up, like, why are you going to this guy now for the past two outings? He hasn't been able to perform. And you put him in a high lever situation in the eighth inning when you're trying to get to Iglesias or you're trying to keep it tied. It's like stuff like that. I, I, it kind of irks me a little bit to where it's like, you know, I, I think – and I heard this from people too. Joe falls in love with certain guys and kind of, you know, I guess it's a great quality to have as a person, always trying to see the positive in that guy. But as a manager, it doesn't always work out that way because, you know, he's going to do it this time and it does and he doesn't, and he doesn't all the time. So um, yeah, I think the biggest thing with Madden, the plus has been juggling that lineup with all the injuries. And I think that with both everything else, the, the, bullpen i think has been the biggest thing and even if you go back to his chicago days i think that was the biggest gripe they had with him there is his bullpen management so hopefully they get able to to pick up players in this trade deadline coming up and that's a segue to our next topic um obviously the biggest thing the angels need are pitchers starting pitchers relief pitchers you know if you had to pick one or the other the team to focus on relief pitchers or starting pitchers mike which one would you want them to, to focus on 
I think that I would go bullpen um, and I would focus on it, back of the bullpen. It'd be great to have somebody that can help support Rizal Iglesias. And the reason why I think that is because they should bring up Reed Detmers. That's why they should <laughs> bring up Reed Detmers. And so I think it, our bullpen has shown that they have the ability to completely blow it. And I think our starters, as we've adjusted the starting rotation, have shown that, hey, if we give them a shot, some of these young guys – they can be consistent and we can get some wins. And so if I was to make the move, I would focus on the bullpen. And what about you, John? If you had to pick one to focus on the starters or uh, bullpen arms, which one would you choose? I think I'd got to agree with that and go with the bullpen. I think I go with the bullpen because I think that's going to be less costly at the end of the day. And, and we are starting to see, you know, with the additions of Suarez and Sandoval, I know they're young, but they've really proven themselves uh, to to be effective in that starting rotation, um, I, and like I said before, we all we've ever needed is meh pitching, and our offense can do the rest. And the problem is, is that if you have meh pitching and the offense gets you a lot of runs, it doesn't stop the bullpen from blowing it. So I think less costly than starting pitching will be bullpen pieces. And uh, I think to shore up that back end of the bullpen, like Mike said with Iglesias, because he's been doing so much heavy lifting that yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's sustainable or not. But man, that guy, he goes out getting those five, six out saves. I mean, he's just incredible, but he really needs a setup guy. He needs somebody to go in the seventh and and even before that. So, uh, yeah, I think bullpen is the way to go. And then what about you, Andrew? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm going to be third vote for bullpen, um, <laughs> echoing basically everything that was already said. Uh, so to not sound like we're, we're repeating ourselves here, I'm going to throw out just a few names. Listeners can go and look them up as they please. Um, but Richard Rodriguez of the Pirates, mm-hmm. Tanner Scott of the Orioles, Greg Holland of the – I don't know where he is right now, actually – Royals, uh, Nick Wittgren of the Indians, and then – I had one more name, and I just blanked on it. <laughs> no, Andrew, but the- Chaffin, Andrew Chaffin of the Cubs. All those guys except for Holland – are also guys who have multiple years of control left on them, which I, which I think is a big piece in, in yeah. building also into next year and the following years. Right. And I think that's a great point too, because obviously you have like Kimbrell out there and some of these high leverage guys, which I don't think the angels are going to go after like the sexy name, like some of the names that you put out there. Yeah. Fans are probably going to have to Google who he is or what he does because it's not like a household name, like a closer type. Um, but at the same time, I think that fits the, the angels perfectly because it's probably not going to cost a ton to, to, well, if they have multiple years, it might cost a little bit more. But like you mentioned, it 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 will carry over the next year. You're not, you know, giving up guys for a rental. And I think with the Angels only being one game above 500, and this next week, I think it's going to play a big key in whether or not they they're buyers or sellers. Like, yeah. let's be honest, they uh, they come back from the break on the weekend against Seattle for three. They go up to Oakland for two. Who, which right there, that's five games against the AL West. And you know, we talked about it earlier. You know always seem to be giving the angels trouble but after that they play minnesota for four so john if if the angels had a sale who do you think is a good person for the angels to, to look at the flip and maybe get some guys back in return i think you got to look at anybody who whose deal expires at the end of this year uh at the end of the season um there was a particular trade, I think in 2018, we traded Ian Kinsler to the Red Sox and we got Ty Buttry and we got, I think, Williams Jerez, Jerez, I'm not Jerez. sure how to say. And and I really liked that move because it was like, Kinsler was on a one-year deal. The Red Sox really needed a second baseman because Pedroia was out and we got a nice bullpen return. And I think at the time, both of them were 
a minor league guys, but we, we were able to use them that season and we later traded uh, Jerez, but uh, those are the kind of moves that I think make sense. So even if it means somebody like Jose Iglesias, who, you know, brings a lot of fire and energy to the team, if he's, if he's gone for a few months and, and maybe we turn around and, bring them back. That's fine with me. But if, if uh, you know, and really anybody on one year deals, I think is up for grabs. I think you keep somebody like Alex Cobb just because he's been such a, a solid starter for us so far. Uh, and I know he's on a one year deal, but I, I, like I said, I think anybody else is up for grabs. And what about you, Mike? Who's, who's someone that you would, you would want to see or not want to see, because obviously you want to be buyers, but if the angels are forced to sell, who are, who's someone that you think they can get at least something back for? I think we could get something back for Jose Iglesias. I think he's a solid player. I'd hate to see him go, but I think he's a solid player. We could get something back for him. And possibly Justin Upton. I know his contract is huge and he's got one more year. But if Upton is is healthy, I think he could be a benefit for a team. But I think the the best the best chip right now is probably Jose Iglesias. You know, that's interesting too to think about Upton because if he is offensively there still, but I guess it's gonna have he's gonna have to come back and prove it. But if he is you know, maybe you have to do kind of what they did with the, with the Zach Cozart. Maybe you have to attach a younger guy on it for another team to take him off your hands. But now you're opened up with Albert coming off the books. And then if that, you know, happens, then you have Upton come off the books and kind of opens up a whole different possibility going forward. But that's interesting to see if they can pull something like that off. Andrew, what is someone that you would think the Angels would be possibly could get something for? Yeah, I'm going to disagree slightly with John here and say Alex Cobb, I think, could be one of our better trade pieces because I, as we talked about, pitching is king, and he's been a very serviceable pitcher. I think any team that's trying to make a run would be um, pretty happy to get him. I think we could get some pretty solid value for him. Yeah, he's definitely valuable. That I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> I would hate to see him go. Yeah, I hope it's a conversation because I don't, I don't want to see that happen. But right. I think there's a lot of value in Cobb if, if we reach that point. And especially he keeps on, you know, being a ground ball machine and going deep into games. Absolutely. And maybe you give it to a team that's in the race, but yet they, maybe they have a, 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 you know, a high risk, maybe not a high risk, but you know, a guy that you, they're not sure about yet pitching wise that can turn into something down the line. That's something you could probably possibly get for someone like Cobb. If he continues uh, the way he does. And, and again, going back to the schedule, like I mentioned, you got three against Seattle coming up two against Oakland up in Oakland and then four, in Minnesota. So John, what do you think they need to do that week to kind of solidify them as buyers at the deadline? So remind me, it's, it's the Mariners. It's, it's three, Minnesota. three home against the Mariners, two away at uh, Oakland and then four away at um, uh, Minnesota. Oh man. Well, I, I think you definitely have to win those series against the Mariners and the twins. I think if you split, with the A's, I know that we need more West division wins, yeah. but I think just to demonstrate that you can contend with a team like the A's, I think you got to at least take one of those. So what about you, Andrew? What do you think uh, they need to do uh, during that week to uh, be buyers at the deadline? Yeah, I agree with John there as well. Um, taking three or four against the Twins, ideally two or three against the Mariners, and splitting with the A's I think puts us – within four games depending on how everyone else does maybe three of a walk card spot and at that point we're definitely buyers yeah i i definitely think that too um you know i they have to have some kind of a uh good stretch like obviously you would love to get the two out of from oakland but i mean realistically 
that's going to be kind of hard. You got to take advantage of the, the not so good teams. And obviously that is Minnesota's really struggling to sweep four game sweep would be huge against uh, those guys and help them. You know, like again, be, be buyers. And Mike, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that next coming week and the angels performance? I think that they have to come out strong and, and they have to come out looking really good. I, I honestly would say like, I think you got to sweep possibly the Mariners, possibly the, the Minnesota twins, just because they got to come out strong and, and really against, I mean, we mentioned it earlier, really against those West teams. I think you really have to beat Oakland and you definitely, definitely have to beat the Mariners. Please beat the Mariners. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so a little bit of news to kind of roster related that came out today before we recorded uh, the angels end up signing Adam Eaton to a major league deal. So you can definitely expect him to see him, um, in the Angels uniform starting Friday because they DFA not DFA'd, but they uh, optioned, uh, I believe, I believe Rojas back to AAA. Uh, Andrew, does that Adam Eaton signing do anything for you? Is it, you know, what do you, what are your thoughts about it? Yeah, it's definitely an improvement. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't very hard to improve from what we had. We were, <laughs> we were, we were putting infielders out in the outfield and you can't, get mad at the guys for for you know making errors in position they're not used right. to playing um so just having an outfielder there is going to make a difference and then honestly his bat too even though it's been struggling is better than kind of what was filling that spot to begin with and what about you john how do you feel about the adam eaton signing uh today um another corresponding move that john jay got did get released but you know obviously he had a shot and was didn't perform so now you have eaten there uh as an angel it's nice to have an outfielder in the outfield. What a concept. Uh, it reminds me of the Dexter Fowler signing. I wasn't thrilled with getting Dexter Fowler, but it was like, hey, you know what? This is a veteran presence who can you know, contribute and, and in some small way. And so I think Eaton will be that guy that we lost when we lost Dexter Fowler. I think that he'll be uh, serviceable in the outfield. A lot, we'll be a lot more confident with him out there and maybe a change of scenery will be nice. And, and that bat will come around again. He did have a hot start and uh, I know that he fell off. He's sitting around like 200 right now, two Oh three. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think it's, it's like, like Andrew said, it's, it's somebody who can do the job and is supposed to be out there and, and you can't be mad at those infielders. They're just out of position. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think Eaton's going to be a, a really helpful piece moving forward. How about you, Mike? How's that? How's that Adam Eaton signing? Uh, how do you feel about that? Well, I think Adam has a, a great history, but the reality is, is I, I would I would want to compare him against like a Taylor Ward. What would be the benefit of of having Adam out there versus having Taylor out there? Now, I know Adam is an outfielder that has played the position well and has this history of of hitting the ball well, but. Quite frankly, I would rather see Taylor Ward develop a little bit more, even if it means that we have to watch him drop a couple of balls or maybe misread a play, right? I'd love to see Taylor Ward out there more often. But if Eaton's going to help us and we think that it's going to be a good for it's going to be good for a playoff push, I mean, more power to our team. But I, I would prefer to see some of our guys out there and see them develop so that we can actually see them impact this year and and potentially next year. So talking about some of our guys, the Angels, obviously. You know, one of the guys that's been injured the most this year coming off and on is Anthony Rendon. And that's kind of been a, a, a talking point for Angel Twitter or Angel social media for the last couple weeks with his most recent stint on the IL. Um, some people comparing him to like an Albert Pujols where it was great when you sign him, but now you're, you're not nearly getting the return on investment, if you will. So, so Mike, I'll go back to you. You know, how what are your thoughts about that, you know, uh, Anthony Rendon? Uh, situation in Anaheim so far. 
Well, as I mentioned earlier, like I'm a huge super fan. And so when they signed Rendon, it was like they signed Adrian Beltre when he was a free agent. <laughs> and I, I longed for Adrian Beltre to be on our team. And so I anticipated that this would be kind of like that signing. And if you look at Adrian Beltre, he had some seasons where he was strong and then he had some seasons where he wasn't so strong, but his presence on that team and ultimately his presence in the lineup was a game changer. And so I'm willing to put up with some of the injuries with Rendon because I think that his presence in our in our clubhouse and his presence when he's in the lineup is a game changer. And as I mentioned earlier, his defense is a game changer for our team. And so he doesn't irritate me as much as like Upton who, you know, somebody winks at him and he's injured, right? And so uh, <laughs> if he can actually stay in the lineup the second half and, and really produce, I'll be really excited. If he gets injured again, I'm going to be bummed out. I think that there's, there's going to be uh, a moment where they're going to have to decide, like, what do we do with this guy? And, and do we keep throwing him out there every day? Or is he going to have to have a break once a week? Kind of like, you know, like a starting pitcher almost where he has a, a day off on a Sunday or a day night doubleheader. Cause I don't want to see him break down anymore, but I think that his presence in the clubhouse and in the lineup and on the field is is worth the time that we've seen some of the injuries come up. So, Andrew, how do you feel about Rendon and just kind of the overall um, him struggling, staying healthy and him maybe not, again, performing to the value of his contract? Um, yeah, I've gotten a lot of comments about Anthony Rendon, especially the ones you've mentioned. And my response is just just calm down. Like we've <laughs> last year he was in MVP conversation. He had an amazing history. Like he had a great 2020 season, 60 games, but it was great. This year, in the first half of the season, he's gone the IL three times. He just hasn't been able to get consistent play. And is the injury thing related to age? It's hard to say, but I'm not worried about Rendon. I just want him healthy. And if he's healthy, for a prolonged amount of time, and then he continues to struggle, then we can have that unfortunate conversation. But right now, calm down. Get him in the lineup consistent. Get him healthy, and I think we're going to be okay. So, John, what are your thoughts then also about the uh, the Rendon, you know, lack of production so far in his, in his Angels career? I'm not worried. I think that when you – I mean, he's, he got off to a slow start last season and then really, uh, you know, heated up. And he got off to a slow start this season and was starting to really show glimpses of who he can be. And then he got hurt. And then he came back, was slow, got better, got hurt. Rinse and repeat, right? And I think if he can just have a, a sustained moment of not being hurt, staying healthy, like he'll eventually turn the corner and show us the rundown that we were expecting. So I'm not disappointed. I'm not ready to call it anything near a pool hole steal because <laughs> first of all, he was much younger than, than Pujols was when he got signed. Right, <laughs> and so, yeah. uh, and, and we need a third baseman like Rendon. I, he is so good in that corner. And, and so I, I think he has much more value uh, that he has yet to demonstrate and, and he'll, he'll come around. I'm confident. Yeah. Just defensively. It's just a, such a, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's such a, a soothing feeling knowing that he's going to be there and make those regular plays and, and make him look easy. So another bit of news that happened unexpectedly when I set this all up was the dismissal of, of Darren Sun from Valley Sports West. And obviously this happened Sunday. I surprised a lot of people. Uh, I'm sure no more than, than Darren, but um, came out, I believe, today. Rich Wont, uh, previously of the Mar- or Mar- Marlins, 
broadcast teams did a little work for TNT and MLB uh, Network as well, calling basketball, baseball, stuff like that. Um, we'll be in the booth Friday with Gooby. Um, Andrew, Howard, A, how surprised were you by that this firing of Sutton? And then two, um, what did you think of Sutton? Did you, did you like it? Did you not like him? What were your thoughts? Yeah, this was really surprising news to me. Um, just mid-season like this, it, it felt like weird timing. Um, so instant response was, was surprise, right? I enjoyed Sutton. I love his enthusiasm. The guy's an Angels fan. And it's so fun to listen to someone who's who's a fan of your team, right? So I really enjoyed him. I think I, I, I felt growing pains as he was getting into the role. Um, but I would have loved to hear him throughout the entire year and see what he sounded like in September versus what he sounded like in April. Um, but I loved his enthusiasm. Yeah, what about you, Mike? How did you feel about Sut? And then how surprised were you about the whole, you know, him not being there anymore? I think what we loved about Victor Rojas was that he was an Angels fan and he was excited when the Angels were winning. I think the reason why Dodger fans love Vin Scully is because Vin Scully loves the Dodgers. And what I loved about uh, Darren Sutton was that he's an Angel fan. His dad played for the Angels and he was a great storyteller. And I know some people thought he talked a bit too much, but I thought what he had to say was really helpful in describing what was taking place. And the interesting thing is, is that this new guy, Rich, who's coming in, he actually sounds like Darren Sutton. If you get a chance, (laughs) you should check him out on YouTube. But he sounds like Darren Sutton. And the thing that I do like about him was that he actually seemed like he was a fan of the Marlins. In fact, uh, one of the YouTube videos that I looked up, he was calling home runs for Dan Ugla. Remember that guy? He played second base for the Marlins. Mm -hmm. And his home run call was a unique call because anytime he would hit a home run, he would say, and that's a home run. And his name is Dan Ugla. And the the co-commentator would do it along with him. And so it seemed like it was this kind of fun call, kind of like, uh, gone home run Otani son kind of idea, right? And so the fans loved it. And so, I, what I think we're inheriting is maybe a younger version of Darren Sutton. So, I don't know, we don't know what the inner workings are. I hope that there was actually just uh, hey, we're gonna move in a different direction and there wasn't any awkwardness or weirdness. But I really enjoyed him, I thought he called the game really well, and I love his fandom. And so, I, I even though it's only been a half a year, I'll miss him. Yeah, me too. So, John, how did you feel about Sut? Because I feel honestly, I, I think you guys probably saw it too. I got a lot of mixed emotions from from fans. You know, half, mm-hmm. half of them were saying, "Good, good I didn't like him." You know, or some were like, "Wow, I really missed him. I'm going to miss him." Stuff like that. But how do you feel, John, about about Sut and his job with the Angels for you know the half the season? Yeah, this is not the kind of job that you're just going to waltz into and pick it up right away. You got to have chemistry with the guys in the booth, and I think Sutton did a really good job of trying to develop chemistry with, you know, his coworkers. Like he would have a good time in the, in the post game show with Alex Curry and, and he did a good job of throwing it to Moda or throwing it to Gooby. And, uh, and like I said, it's, it's not something you can just walk in day one and everything is, is, you know, Victor Rojas levels of, of goodness because Victor was there for 10 years and, and they built such a good rapport together, him and Gooby. So, uh, I, I told Mike the other night on our podcast, I was, I get frustrated with people who say, bring back Rex Hudler, bring in so-and-so. <laughs> it's like, you can't have two color commentators in the booth. Right. That's not how it works. You need a play-by-play and you need a color analyst and that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think I, I like Mike's point too, about, I guess the similarities between um, Sut and Victor is that they both have ties to the angels, whether it's mm-hmm. Cookie Rojas or, you know, uh, Don Sutton with the angels, like both these guys, grew up around the ballpark around angels, you know, players. And so they had that kind of a, 
connection. And then you had Gooby who played for the Angels, you know, so they're, mm-hmm. and, and you just always kind of had the connection. And it's kind of sucks to see Darren go, you know, obviously get fired by Bally's. And he kind of, there was a story out in LA Times where he, he kind of flat out said that, yeah, he feels like it came from the Angels more so than Bally's. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I think there's more there than kind of, meets the eye right now maybe in over time more and more will come out but it's gonna be really interesting to see and and, and you're right john it's not a job where you could just walk in and the the first day and you know have everything click it's a rhythm there's a feel there's a you know unspoken communication that you just can't get and for with the pandemic being what it was you know, you see with Maddie V and Gooby sometimes, especially when Maddie V's on on remote from. Oh yeah, like, it can East be Coast. so awkward. It, it it can be because you need to be able to see each other and give each other these cues and, you know, kind of give them a look saying, "Hey, I got something to follow up on it," so you're not stepping all over each other. So, whoever it is, it's not going to be smooth the first month, two months, three months. It's going to be a little bit of a filling out process, and I think too, that just kind of shows me that the victor leaving was probably very unplanned because it does not seem at least in my eyes that the angels had a backup plan like like right. they knew he was going to leave and so we have a couple guys it seems like when 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 victor left it kind of left the angels and valleys or fox sports west at the time uh kind of out in in the dark and now they're still trying to reach and hopefully they find that next guy that can build a uh uh community like unspoken communication with gooby and 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 uh and Moda and stuff like that. So hopefully that's something to look forward to. So uh, we're almost out of time here. I want to thank you guys again. But the last question I want to ask, and we've covered a lot about what's happened, what could happen, some of the bright future stars of the Angels. What do you feel about the future of this organization? And I, I'll go to you first, Andrew. Um, we have a lot of kind of high upside players within the farm. And it, it, it's a big question of can those guys play up to kind of that high upside or do they flail out into nothing? But I, I am very encouraged by Perry Manassian's emphasis on player development. When I wanted a new gym come in, I didn't want some big name guy who's known for trading. I wanted someone who could build a system that develops players. I think we've seen great development with Reed Detmer so far. I think that's a very positive sign. So that's the most exciting part for me is putting in guys here who can actually develop players and build a consistently winning organization. And what about you, Michael? How do you feel about the overall future of this organization? I would just double down on what Andrew said. Like I would love to see some of those, those young guys come up and I know the tension is always, are they Brandon Wood or are they Mike (laughs) Trout? Right. And, and, and we hope that there's more Mike Trouts in that system. I do think that we have to be wise with our long contracts. I, I think that there's a big contract coming up for Shohei Otani. Absolutely. Um, and and I, I think that he is worth it and I would go all in with him. But I think that we have to be wise about contracts that we're signing like with a Justin Upton and even an Anthony Rendon. We've got to be wise about that stuff because I think that we do have some really good superstars in the minor leagues that we're going to have to lock down pretty early. And so it seemed like Perry kind of has a has a game plan in place. And so if I were him, I would want to lock down some of those players, which is why, hey, let's bring them up. Let's see what they can do. And, and let's let them flex a little bit. And the same thing to you, John. How do you feel about the future? I'm hopeful. I, I think if you look at who we have in the majors and then who we have like on the cusp in the minors, I think we're only, you know, two, three, maybe four pieces away from being a really full and complete team and I think that if you give Perry Manassian an offseason that 
isn't his first off season. Uh, that's not coming after a pandemic year. And that is following up a normal season like we're having now. I think that he's going to make the right moves in this off season. I know that he kind of had to duct tape that bullpen together at the last minute and, and get us a completely different one. And I know that people weren't excited about Quintana and Cobb and they kind of compared that to some of the pitching busts we've had in the, in the past. And, and Quintana is kind of like that, but Alex Cobb has really uh, developed well in terms of, you know, having a good defense behind him and being a ground ball pitcher. So that was a move that paid off. But I think if, if Perry has a full season and a full off season, to uh, afforded to him, I think that he's going to make some some good moves. So I'm I'm hopeful for the future. Yeah, I, you know I think they're going in the right direction. Obviously, you would love to just go out there and buy all the free agents you can and make a team that way. But obviously, with the way baseballs play today and and run, I mean, yeah. any organization you need those homegrown guys and right. those free agents are just more kind of the cherry on top. But you need a strong foundation, and that's built by homegrown players, either drafted or you know traded for these guys that maybe are a couple years out and you develop them to, to be, uh, you know, again, not everyone needs to be Mike Trout, but you do need solid players in the outfield that, you know, second base that, you know, a catcher, stuff like that. So something I think the angels are working towards. And I think you're right. Perry uh, seems to have an idea of what he wants to do. And now you're kind of seeing it uh, being rolled out, starting with the draft. And then now we'll see how this next free agency uh, or trade deadline, then free agency and all that stuff kind of, kind of plays out but again i want to thank you guys for joining uh the all angels podcast john uh john and mike uh, i don't know which one you always want to talk but go ahead and, and and plug your stuff where can they get your podcast and a little bit about your podcast yeah so mike and i we found ourselves talking about angels baseball all the time and texting back and forth and i was like you know what what if we started a podcast and and mike's got a background in radio and and i love podcasts so we just decided to make it happen and uh so we were like let's just put it out there and see what happens. And and we've been having, this has been the most fun I've had this season just because of all of the interactions on social media and, and uh, talking baseball every week with my brother. It's nice. We don't live in the same town, so we get to connect once a week and, and hang out and talk baseball. So that's been fun. Uh, but you can find us on social media, Twitter, Instagram at super halo bros. Uh, I like to say, come for the memes, stay for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> And then obviously, Andrew, where can they follow you if they're not already? Yeah, Angels Top Plays on Instagram and on Twitter. I tend to be a little more candid on Twitter and doing kind of just my instant reactions to stuff during games. Um, but yeah, Instagram and Twitter. Awesome, guys. And and for anyone listening, I will put their handles in the description of this podcast. So if you did not catch that or didn't have a pen nearby, um, definitely just look at the description of this podcast and it will all of the handles will be there. Um, obviously, Mike, John, Andrew, thank you very much. Always fun time to uh, talk Angels baseball. And again, right where we're at, where we're sitting right now at the All-Star break, I felt like it was a perfect time. So thank you guys uh, very much. And that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the All Angels podcast. I am Dan Garcia, and have a great day. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. 
Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.